Welcome to another episode of Converge Takeout. I'm excited to be able to start a brand new series. Dustin and I are going to spend three weeks today and uh, this series, this episode and the next two talking about, or this new series title, <clears throat> um, Being the Perfect Christian and Other Lies. I, <laughs> if you get the picture here, we're, we're going to be kind of trying to unravel some things that we sometimes get ourselves, you know, into a, into a wrong way of thinking. Not the obvious lies, not the lies like, well, there is no God, or a lie like says that God is the source of all evil. Not, not like that, but the more subtle lies. Uh, let me give you a couple of examples here. <clears throat> I call them um, bumper sticker cliches that we use in the church. Drive me crazy. Um, let, let me give you a few here. Uh, one is, God won't give you more than you can handle. Uh, that's actually not in the Bible. <laughs> I, I know you may have heard that. You may have even said that yourself, but that's really not true. God gives you more than you can handle so that he can intervene with you when you ask him and help you. Uh, here's another one. When God closes the door, he opens a window. Yeah, sometimes God closes doors and windows. It's not, it's not necessarily true. Here's one. God helps those who help themselves. And no. <laughs> um, Another one, let go and let God. While that seems to have a really good idea of submission behind it, um, I should really never couch sit with God, right? It's not like I'm just going to let God do it and I'm just going to sit on the couch and just God's got it and I don't do nothing. Nah, you know, and, and that's the problem. It's subtle, right? Uh, last one here, everything happens for a reason. That sounds really good. It tries to make us feel better, but it also implies that God is the, the driving force behind everything that happens in the world, and that's not true. There's brokenness and sin in the world, and that drives a ton, the suffering and the pain. God can use that. God can redeem that. God can restore us from that, but he doesn't cause it. Evil does. Sin does. So anyway, those are the kinds of things we're doing. And you know what? Perhaps you've even said some of these or heard some of these, and we're not trying to want to make you feel bad or anything, but we do want to look at them and say, you know, where, where do these kind of expressions, these kind of ideas, where do they really come from? And in this series, we want to unravel a few of these types of lies to help actually free us to live a richer, fuller life with truth, right? The truth that pulls me into Jesus and doesn't keep me at a distance from him in some way. Uh, let me, let me let, let's go into a verse that we're, where Jesus actually, we, we hear about how that works. In John chapter 8, in the Gospel of John in chapter 8, um, partway through that chapter, the author John there, he is um, showing us that there's this teaching moment of Jesus who he says that he is the light of the world, that, that he is the light that lights the way so that people can come through him to know who God is, to who knew Father God is. And so that being the light of the world, lights, it's that lamp, it's that way to salvation. And then he goes into a little teaching moment right after that, and he warns people, look, if you don't come into the light, you're going to stumble around in darkness, and, and you're going to lose your way. You may not even find <clears throat> the light, and he warns people. And then in verse 31, he says this, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
Well, that's what we want to do here in this series. Let you know the truth and help you be free and live a life that's really engaging and fun in Christ. So, something about knowing the truth that frees us to a better life. Let me pray over you for that real quick. God, we just pray that that in this series and even in this episode that we would know truth. And the lie that we deal with today in this episode, God, I pray that it would be revolutionary for some of us, that, that, that it changes the way that we interact with you in such a positive way. It frees us from the burden and bondage of, of having to, to, to deal with and manage sin, but God frees us to be able to live fully in you. And so, we, God, we just pray that you help us see that. Amen. All right. So, how do we get off track in our thinking about this kind of stuff? I mean, how do we get this wrong? Uh, well, let me demonstrate it for you. Um, it's, it's a way of helping us understand that we can actually use the right facts. We can use true statements to draw wrong, wrong conclusions. So, it goes like this. If Jackson... If Jackson is a human, then Jackson is a mammal, right? If Jackson is a human, then Jackson is a mammal. So I'm telling you, Jackson's a mammal. Therefore, right, Jackson is a human. Well, meet Jackson. Yeah, not a human, right? Jackson's a mammal, but he's a dog. We, we use logic sometimes in weird ways. Then, and we put these true statements together in, in wrong ways that can lead to errors, uh, wrong conclusions, bad conclusions. Um, it also happens a lot when we read things out of context. When we take an expression or a verse uh, from the Bible or, or something someone says, we pull it completely out of its context that helps us understand what it was really trying to say. When we stick a couple of those together, we get wrong conclusions, although we have right info. And uh, sometimes we do this with our thinking about God. Uh, we do this with the Bible or with our faith. Let me give you an example that works like this. And this, this is actually takes us to where we're trying to go in this episode. So the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, it says. So everyone has sinned. You, me, everyone. No exceptions. And then in Numbers, we find out that, well, your sins will find you out. In other words, if, if, if you sin, you can't hide sin forever. I mean, some, some maybe we really try hard to do, but we're sinners. And God for sure, right? We don't hide any sin from Him. He knows. And then we read in Romans 6, 23, it says, and the wages of sin is death. So we got a death problem. We've got a problem because sin brings death. And we've all sinned. And our sin is going to find us out. So... That's a real issue. And so we want to take care of that. So we get into the cycle of like, I, I don't want to do that. And so we read on in 1 John 1, 9, it says, so if we confess our sin, it leads to righteousness. Man, I know people who do nothing but confess sin, confess sin, and confess sin, and confess sin. And there's this war that just gets waged. They are doing their very best to lead a sinless life. And, and that's what I want to talk about. See, each of these verses talks about sin. It talks about like the thing that's wrong with us and the thing that, that, that keeps us from having a relationship really with God. And that's this thing we call sin. It's the things that, as far as we can tell, that we do wrong. It's the things that we know maybe like, like aren't God's will for us. 
And when we look at each of these verses, they, they all deal with this sin thing. And so we want to understand this idea better. It seems to be a big deal. So we find out that the word sin actually is a Greek word and it means hamartia. Hamartia actually translates, literally translates to miss the mark. So sin is missing the mark. So everyone misses the mark. And everybody's going to be able to tell, and God certainly knows, we missed the mark. And when we miss the mark, that brings death. So we better get this right. And if I tell God and I've missed the mark, he'll forgive me. But there seems to be this life of I can't ever get on top of this thing. Because I always miss the mark. The question is, what's the mark? What is that thing? I mean, if I can figure out how to not miss the mark, then I don't have to go through this whole forgiveness cycle constantly to try to be right with God. I don't have to carry all this guilt with me constantly to say, man, have I ever, ever confessed this sin? Is, 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 am, I, am I right here? If I, I mean, if, how do I not miss the mark? Sin is missing. So here's how, what we do. If sin is missing the mark and the wrong things that we do is sin, and then not sinning keeps me on the mark, so I gotta hit that mark every time. I can't do wrong. I can't do the errors. I have then got to not screw it up. I have got to be, and here we go, here's the word, perfect. The mark then becomes perfection. We don't think about it in these terms. I'm trying to lay it out in, in like how it, how it works in our brain, but we just kind of go there with, I think, intuitively. We just, like, we, we say if sin are the bad things that we do, then I've got to try to live a perfect life. And we want to be perfect Christians. And when I can't, then I ask for forgiveness. And the goal then is to be a perfect Christian. Have you ever said that to yourself? I, I, I want to try to be a perfect Christian. Or maybe we look at somebody, we admire them, and we think, that's a perfect Christian. I mean, how do I be like them? A special speaker or somebody who writes a book. You know, uh, I want to be a perfect Christian. Then we read a passage, for example, in Matthew 5, 28. We hear Jesus' words and we read these words out of our Bibles and it says, Therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Seems to reinforce the idea. Let's be perfect Christians. And so what's so bad about perfection anyway? I mean, I've been accused of being a perfectionist before. Isn't that like sort of okay? I mean, who doesn't want to experience a perfect day? I mean, a perfect fall day where it's just crisp enough and the leaves are falling through the air and there's a, there's a, there's a scent of, of not rain, but just before that, you know, and the air feels clean and fresh and that we feel that perfection of that day. And so, oh, or a perfect spring or a perfect summer, somewhere where we just love it and, and, it's, and it's beautiful and it's wonderful, a perfect day. Or who doesn't want to eat a perfect meal or have a perfect glass of wine? I, I think of... You know, Jim Outman and like, like trying to put together this, this wonderful, great meal. And then when it's not just right, you know, I hear him, he'll say something like, well, you know, it didn't come out just the way I wanted it to. And, you know, I, I, I strive to have this perfect meal, which that's great, man. I would love to be there when that happens. Or who wouldn't want to receive that perfect gift, right? We've all had those gifts. We kind of like, oh, thank you so very much. That was really great, you know. And uh, that, that ugly sweater or whatever it is, you know, that thing, that knickknack you got that's like, I, I don't know what to do with this, right? Who does want to receive the perfect gift where you're like, that, that's the best, best, most amazing thing I've ever gotten. And, and like what parent doesn't want a perfect kid, right? In fact, 
Most parents I meet think they have the perfect kid. I'm here to tell you it's not true, but we all think we have one. Honestly, I think it seems like many of us, myself included in times, are striving for perfection. I want to be the perfect mom. I want to be the perfect employee. I want to be the perfect friend. And who wouldn't want to be the perfect Christian? Who wouldn't want to do that, right? Which of us, who of us wouldn't think that that would be a great thing? Well, check out this video and see if maybe we learn something about trying to be the perfect Christian. Check it out. Yeah, you see the problem? When perfection is our goal, man, we work really hard to manage our sin. The problem is we're like that little kid. It's not possible. Sin eats our lunch every time. We're going to get mowed over every time. We are not going to win that fight. To try to always manage our sin, become perfect and never do stuff. And, and, and we think we can do this, but, but really what happens instead of becoming the perfect Christian that we strive and we work and we stress about being, we actually become something else. Like for example, instead of being a perfect Christian, we actually become, some people become ultra religious. I've heard them say, and I've even read this in books, it, it just boggles my mind every time. Well, I haven't sinned in three months, six months, a year, you know, I, I have not sinned. I, and, and I'm, I don't know. And God forgive me if I'm wrong here, but what enters my mind is, I think by you saying that, you just sinned. <laughs> I mean, we're sinners. We are all sinners and we're all sinning. That's the point. We, we can't be perfect. It's the attitude of the Pharisees. That's what their deal was. The Pharisees in the New Testament here that contended with Jesus said, we're the perfect group in society. We got it all put together. We got all the law put together. We know it all. And every time Jesus engaged with the Pharisees um, as a group, he condemned them because the perfectionism 
was, was ultra-religious, and they actually, instead of helping people, hurt people, even themselves. All right, we could also become someone who just believes in cheap grace, who grace doesn't really have much value. God's grace is there, so I'm just gonna do what I want. If I can't be perfect, then I'm just gonna let sin be sin in my life, and God will cover it. And, and God's grace is there, God's forgiveness is there, so why should I even like try? So yes, I believe in God and, and I believe in Christ, but the, the, the grace has got it covered, and so I just kinda just do what feels good, right? Well, have you ever read that little teeny one chapter book right before Revelation? It's the book of Jude. And he just lays it out and he's like, uh, yeah, that doesn't work. That is not the way to go. That does not honor God. That doesn't please God. That cheap grace approach is not the way to live. The last one here, the other way that we live is we just check out. We just give up. We're just done. We're just like, I, I can't do it. It's what, what kind of religion is this that would do this? Peace out and we're gone. And, and we just don't darken the doors of a church again. We don't open a Bible again. We would nominally say, I'm a Christian, but really, we just, we're done. We just give up. Seventh Chronicles, though, Second Chronicles 15.7 says, be strong and don't give up, for your work will be rewarded. So none of these approaches are right. Man, this is no way to live. This striving for perfection, this ideal of perfection, that the mark that we have to hit is to be the perfect Christian. We are human, we are broken, and perfection is unrelenting and unattainable. And that gets us to today's big lie. And today's big lie is, the goal of the Christian life is to get rid of sin and be a perfect Christian. That's the ultimate. But perfection, again, is unattainable, and it, this just can't be our mark. So if perfection isn't the mark, if that's not the deal, then what is the mark? How do we deal with our sin? I mean, I mean, God doesn't ask us to achieve the impossible. That's not what he wants. So what if, let's reimagine, what is it that we're chasing? What is the mark? What if the mark we're aiming for is not perfection, but relationship? Think about like Michelangelo's painting in the Sistine Chapel. There is God touching people touching the finger of people, wanting to connect with people, wanting to connect with humans, wanting to connect with us and reaching out. I think that's what Michelangelo was trying to get at, that God is not distant, but wanting to be close to us. I actually think that might be a really good way of looking at the mark. See, faith is primarily about relationships. I believe in a person. I follow a person, Jesus. I love a person. I, I, I love someone. I love Jesus. It's about relationship. That means sin, then, if the mark, hamatia, is about relationship, then sin's primarily about relationships. Maybe you've never thought about it that way because we always think about sin as actions, bad deeds, bad actions, bad things that we do. But what if sin is primarily about, not saying it's not about those things, but what if it's primarily about relationships? You see, I sin against someone, normally, with my actions. I sin against God, or I sin against others. I sin against friends, I sin against family. Sin is getting the focus off the mark. And the mark is being face to face, to be intimate in relationship. 
I want to go through a couple of um, scriptures to help us understand this relational idea of sin a little bit better. And I want to go first into the Old Testament and read a couple of stories where I think God reveals this idea to us as, as just fairly clearly through a couple of stories and a couple of characters in the Bible. And the first one is Jacob. Jacob was the twin brother of Esau, son of Isaac and Rebekah. And Jacob was a deceiver. Man, he, he, he was constantly lying. Talk about lies. He was the deceptive guy. He would deceive his brother. He deceived his brother for birthright. He deceived his father for the blessing. He was a deceiver. And he had, when he deceived his brother for the blessing, he, he found out that Esau, his twin brother, wanted to kill him. I mean, he was, he was fuming and wanted to kill him. And so he's on the run from his brother and he had to leave his family. And we see this in Genesis chapter 32, this story of, of, of one night when he's on the run, he encounters God. And, and the story goes like this. Genesis chapter 32, I'm going to start at verse 22. It says, During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons and crossed the Jebek River with them. And after taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. And Jacob was left all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. And when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and it wrenched it out of the socket. And the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. And he replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. And Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. We see that Jacob actually was wrestling with the Lord. Jacob wasn't wrestling really against a man. I know that we, that the author used those words, but we, we discover and find out, as Jacob did, that he's actually wrestling with the Lord. And he said, I have seen the Lord face to face. And it changed him. And it said, the sun was rising in verse 31. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel. And he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Jacob begins to change because he met God face to face. I mean, you know, it, it was an amazing thing um, of what happened to Jacob. I mean, even today, the people of Israel don't eat the tendon near the hip of the socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. It was a big deal, not just for Jacob, but for, but for every generation after that. And Jacob began to change because he experienced the love of God in relationship. Yeah, it was a wrestling match. And sometimes we actually feel like, we are wrestling with God over something, over a situation, over a situation that, that has us struggling or bothered or brings us pain or maybe with something that we want to do that isn't quite happening yet. So we go to prayer and we, we wrestle with God in prayer and say, God, what's happening here? And help me understand and what is happening in my life? And we wrestle. And, and, we, and we don't quite get it, but God is right there. And he somehow touches us, not always painfully, sometimes beautifully but face to face with God. And that's why he began to change. No longer the deceiver, he becomes Israel. 
And he becomes, that, I mean, that's where all of the nation of Israel gets its name, is from him, from this moment. And we change when we come face to face to God for the same reason, because of his love. You see, when we're face to face with God, everything is in alignment. We're in submission. That's what that's about. It's like when I am right here tracking with you, when, when you or I are face to face with God, there's a beautiful thing that happens here. And there's my focus. And that's what I'm looking at and thinking of is you. Because you're right here and you're all I see. And you're my all-consuming passion because we're face to face. Think about that. If you and I were standing here face to face and everything I do is going to want to be about what's happening right here. And so if this is God, the things that I do, my actions, are going to follow suit. There are going to be things that please God because we're here. Behaviors follow focus. Where I'm focused, I have my behavior there. But what happens is, is that we get attracted by other stuff. We get attracted over here by money or by power or by problems or by this difficult relationship or just by the things that I want to do that make me feel good. And all of a sudden, all these other things in life become attractions greater than wanting to be face-to-face -face with God. Oh, I still have a relationship with God, but it's not very intimate at the moment because I turn my face because of other things that attract me in life. Because of all the other things that draw my attention away from face-to-face -face with God. Well, if the mark is relationship, if the mark is here, then every time an attraction, or in the Old Testament we call them idols, turns me away, I miss the mark. See, it's about my relationship. I miss that mark. And forgiveness brings me back to here. That's the goal. Forgiveness isn't about just removing my guilt. Forgiveness is, that's really literally repentance, to turn here into God again, relationally with God again. That's how this works. It's a relationship. And that's what sin is. Missing out on the relationship face-to-face -face and turning in. Let's look at another example very quickly. The example from Moses. In Exodus chapter 33, it says this story in chapter 12, or verse 12, we start reading here. One day Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you're going to send with me. You've told me I know you by name and I look favorably upon you. Well, if it's true that you look favorably upon me, let me know your ways so I can understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. See, the, see all that relational language? See all that relationship that's being described there? And the Lord replied, verse 14, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything is going to be fine for you. And then Moses said, if you don't personally, relationally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me and on us as your people if you don't go with us? For your presence, your relationship, your active relationship among us sets your people, you and me, apart from all the other people in the world. Verse 17, the Lord replies, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I have looked favorably upon you and I know you by name. I know you by name. You and I have a relationship and we know our names. And Moses said, then show me your glorious presence. I want to see you. I want to know you more. I want to be face to face with you. I want to be face to face. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness 
pass before you, and I will call out my name Yahweh before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So he chooses to do this. Verse 20, but you may not look directly at my face, for no one can see me and live. And the Lord continued, look, stand near me on this rock, as my glorious presence passes by, cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from the back, from behind, but my face will not be seen. I think that we will see God's face eventually in heaven, but with our sinful self, we can't, for the wages of sin is death. And so God's being very transparent here with Moses in his relationship. And with Moses, God makes a way he shows us, he makes a way for us to dial into the mark of relationship with him again because he loves us. And that takes us to today's big truth. The goal of the Christian life is to have a consistently deep relationship with God. It's not to manage sin. It's not to stay off the naughty list. It's to have a deep, consistent relationship with God. Let me read some New Testament verses that speak to this very thing. 1 John 3, 1, the first part of that verse says, See what kind of love the Father, the Father, relational word, has given to us so that we should be called children of God. And so we are. John 17, 3 says, And this is the way to eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth, to know him, to relate to him. Many times through the scriptures, God says, I will be their God or your God and you, my people. An intimate bond of relationship. Leviticus, Psalms, Jeremiah, Hebrews, Ezekiel, Revelation, these all speak to that idea. The goal then is not to be the perfect Christian. The goal should be our relationship and a building relationship and deepening relationship with Jesus. It's my relationship with Jesus that saves me, not my lack of sin. It's my relationship with Jesus that covers my sin and relationally covers my actions when they're wrong. So now what? Well, for me, I want to focus on the relationship. To deepen the relationship. To begin to trust more to begin to continue to stay turned more, to try to live here. I know I'm not going to do it perfectly. I can't. And perfection will kill me trying to strive for it. But I can become more like Jesus by looking more at Jesus in my life and finding ways to engage with Jesus to stay here as much as I possibly can. There will still be attractions. There still are little things that draw my attention away. I'm like, no, 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 I got to come back to my first love, come back to my biggest love. Jesus, and trust to stay there so I don't manage my sin. Instead, I fall more and more in love with Jesus through deepening a relationship with him. And it also works about how I relate to others. Because I can be here with God, I can start to be here with you. And I can start to love others. And we can start to then give people a break when they sin. We know that we're going to err. We know we're not going to be perfect. I know you're not going to be perfect because we all sin. And I'm going to see your sin. And I know your sin is, is death in your life. But now my response then, my right response is to not reject you, but to get face to face with you too and support you as together then we turn to Jesus. 
What a beautiful way, what a beautiful model for the way that we, the church, can work with people when we see them and the results of their actions, knowing ah, they're struggling being aligned with the face of Jesus. And how do I come along beside you to not judge you, to not criticize you, to not condemn you, but to come alongside you so that together we can do that? And that is why the truth of this is so freeing. How amazingly freeing. Today's truth sets us free. But wait a minute, you say, what about that verse in Mark? That one that said, well, be perfect as God is perfect. Well, that word perfect is actually the word in Greek, teleos. Teleos is the same root as telescope. And the literal meaning of that word perfect means to be complete in all of its parts, to be full grown, or it's about maturity. It's, a, it's especially trying to talk about the completeness of Christ's character in me. So if you think about the telescope, it means reaching the end or the aim. It's, it's illustrated like this, the old, that old pirate's telescope, right? And it's unfolding or extending it out one stage at a time so that it functions at full capacity or full strength. To have my lens fully extended and visualized on God that is as perfect as my life can be at that point. That's what it means. And the only way to do that is in a relationship with Jesus. So here's the takeaway. Let's, let's end it with this. I then, knowing all of this, want to extend myself towards God through my relationship with Jesus, to turn to Him, to get face to face with Him, just completely fall head over heels with Him, and to live in that face to face place more and more in my life. And that's what I want for you today. And that's today's takeout. Let me pray for you. God, just may we focus on our relationship with you every day of our life and it gets deeper and richer and more wonderful. And may that be what we look to do. That be our goal as we follow you. Amen. God bless you guys. And thanks for being at today's episode of Converge Takeout.